Good morning, church. So I will start by confessing that I was a baby Ruth because I'm a little bit nutty. You were a baby Ruth too? Oh, kids, you can go. All you little baby Ruths, head on up. Did you know that the baby Ruth was named after Ruth Cleveland, who was the first baby born in the White House? That's all I got for you. Have a great week. <laughs> so we've been in this series on kingdom hospitality. And before we get into today's passage, I want to invite you into a challenge. A challenge that many of you have probably been told never to do in church and maybe even got in trouble for doing in church. But we're going to do it anyway. As you sat down, you probably saw pins scattered throughout your rows. I challenge you to take one of those pins and write the word wait, W-A-I-T, on your hand. And I'll explain what wait means in a minute, but I'm going to see how many of you are willing to rebel against your elementary school teachers and write on your hands. Yeah, we get to practice hospitality. If you don't have a pen, you, people have to share. But we're going to talk a lot about the word wait this morning. And the word wait is actually going to be used as an acronym. And it's going to stand for, what am I thinking? What am I thinking? So as we go through God's word today, I want you to continually kind of monitor what it is you're thinking. And I'll challenge us on that as we go. So kingdom hospitality. Hospitality is an extremely effective way of giving credibility to the gospel in our lives and in our culture. It's a tool that we can use to challenge the ways of the world, to challenge the hostility and the judgments and the stereotypes, selfishness and hatred. Now we all know, right, that the gospel is credible. We know it is truth, we know it is life-giving. But friends, what are we doing with it? What about those in our lives that don't know? What about those people that we love that don't know? What about the people that we call enemies that don't know? And I don't know if you guys have been paying attention tonight or not, but it seems like almost every day, if not every day, our world appears to be going off the rails on the crazy train. There is more hatred, there is more animosity and more division in our world than probably ever before. And we, probably consciously or unconsciously, fall into that. We draw lines to categorize people, to label people. In many ways, we can make it an us versus them world or a me versus the world culture. And psychologists have proven that whenever we draw lines or we create categories and put people in them, we lose compassion 
And we lose empathy for those people, those people outside of our box. And when we do that, then we tend to draw closer to the people that are within our box. We love them more and we we give to them more, which isn't all bad, but what about the people outside? And if we're not careful, we can unintentionally begin to dehumanize people. Because reality is we live in a world that is already trying to remove God in every way. So we as Christians, believers and followers of Jesus, we have to make sure that we don't fall into those same traps of hostility, anger, judgment, stereotypes, hatred, division. And now I get it. We're a room full of really good Christians that would never dream of doing any of this. Or at least we wouldn't admit that we do. So wait. When I say those things, what do you think? When we intentionally use kingdom hospitality, it allows us to help tear down those walls. It allows us to meet people where they're at, to hear their stories, to love them well, to bring light into dark places. Right? Jesus told us in Matthew 5, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Wait. In our culture, and again, we probably would never admit this, but in our culture, we often view things through the me lens. Like, how does that affect me? Or when we read a book or we watch a movie, we put ourselves in the scenes and we see it through our eyes instead of through somebody else's. Have you ever seen the movie Braveheart? There's this scene where William Wallace is getting ready to lead all these people into battle. Right? And when you look, when you don't look at that picture because it's not up there, But when we look at this scene, we're not arrogant enough to think, oh, I'm William Wallace, I'm going to do this. But we might think, well, I'm surely one of the five people behind him, right? I'm that big of a deal. The reality is, I'm probably one of those guys way in the back that will get hit by the first stray arrow and never really be a part of the storyline. The danger we have when we start thinking we're a bigger deal or when we put people in their own categories and just love the ones inside our own, we can start to view the Bible. We can start to see God's word just through a me lens. How does it only affect me? You know, Jesus tells us to be humble, right? I'm humble. It's probably my greatest characteristic. But when we just view scripture through the me lens, we get distorted, right? I mean, if Jesus were to show up in Knoxville today, he'd probably pick me one of his disciples. (laughs) I mean, seriously, have you seen the other candidates? 
I might not be one of the 12, but I'm surely in the 72. And after maybe a few betrayals, I'm in. I'm one of the 12. How do we think of ourselves? And how do we see others through the lens of kingdom hospitality? How is that our filter? And I say all this to kind of prepare us as we move into the passage for today. And as we hear this story... I want us to use the lens of kingdom hospitality, the lens that Jesus would want us to to see it as. But as we do that, remember to pay attention to the weight. Pay attention to the what you are thinking. So Luke 14, verses 1 through 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went in the house of a prominent Pharisee, He was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, Will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may be invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all other guests. For For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus turned to the prominent Pharisee, turned to his host. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So this is the reading of God's word. Wait. What does that make you think? So we see this playing out on a Sabbath. So Jesus is invited by one of the prominent Pharisees. He's a big deal, or at least he thinks he is. And we know that the Pharisees are a very real, very legalistic, very self-righteous group. They feel like they're really a blessing to God because they have 600 plus laws that they can follow. At least most of them. And in those laws caused them to have great debates on what could and could not be done on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is meant to be kept holy. 
to be set apart. So they debated what was work, what could be done on the Sabbath. And so right away when we get into this story, we see that there's not a lot of kingdom hospitality happening here. They're not inviting Jesus for a lunch as a form of hospitality. They're trying to trap him. And so we see this man who has abnormal swelling in his body. There's other translations that call it dropsy. In today's medical terms, it would be called edema. And even in today's world with modern medicine, this is still a very serious condition. So as we can imagine, in Jesus' time, this may have been a life-threatening illness. And we know by studying the Pharisees, they don't have a lot of compassion for this person. There's not a lot of empathy for him. They simply wanted to see how Jesus would handle it. And it says they were carefully watching him. They had an agenda. But as we'll see here in a couple of verses, Jesus then returns the favor and starts watching them closely. But he starts, he starts by just asking a question. Is it legal to heal on the Sabbath or not? It's a yes or no question. They had a 50-50 chance of getting it right. And it says, they remained silent. They remained silent. So they had something to say. They just chose not to say it. They didn't want the debate. They simply wanted to observe and trap. So then Jesus just gives them the answer. He shows them the answer. With great compassion, he holds the man. He heals the man. And he sends him on his way. And Jesus knows that this is exactly the ammunition that these people were looking for. And so he makes it personal with them. If you have a child or an ox that falls into the well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? He makes the point very point blank. See, this man with dropsy was outside of their lines, outside of their sphere of influence or thinking. But what about your own child? Does that change anything? Or what about the ox that you use to make your life easier? Is that important enough? Jesus is saying it doesn't matter. If you make it just about you, it doesn't change the rules. And they had nothing to say. So the first question, they had something to say, chose not to say it. This time, they're speechless. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I would pull the ox out, but I've told that kid a million times not to play near the well. He can wait till tomorrow. <laughs> Lassie can pull him out. If you laughed at the Lassie joke, you're showing your age a little bit. But Jesus is revealing to them their self-righteousness their hypocrisy, their arrogance. They are only hospitable to those within their circle. So again, wait. And as we move on, we see where Jesus then begins to start returning the favor 
by watching them more closely. He is watching and he notices how unintentionally they begin drawing their own lines. They begin categorizing themselves, trying to maneuver to elevate their status. And he sees this happening and right in front of his face, he, he tells them this wedding banquet parable. So in this culture, if you were sitting at the center of the table, you would either be the host or the guest of honor. And everybody else, their status would be displayed by how far they sat or how close they sat to you. So the closer to the center of the table, the bigger deal that at least you thought you were. So Jesus is trying to show them that even the way that they're drawing their lines, self-promoting, is actually dishonoring to everybody else in the room. The opposite of kingdom hospitality. Remember, he said, humble yourself and you will be exalted. Serve rather than be served. Promote what is in the best interest of others before yourself. And when you can do that, you will be exalted in the kingdom of God. In verse 12, he turns to the host, the prominent Pharisee. And he explains the errors of his ways. The errors of his thinking. Which in all reality is one of our culture's problems as well. When we're trying to be generous and hospitable, we can't just do it for those closest to us. Those that we can use for personal advancement. Don't just do it to be noticed. Don't just do it to get something in return. Do it for the ones that need it the most. Do it for the ones that can't repay you. Do it for the ones that are the most difficult to do it for. And that is where the blessings come. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You still need to love those closest to you. You still need to treat them well. Don't use that against me later. But the last line, verse 14, I find very interesting. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now we can read that and even then become selfish. Like, okay, well, yeah, I'll serve those who are less fortunate. I'm still going to receive a blessing for it. Of course, I got to wait till the resurrection of the righteous before I receive it, but I'm still receiving blessing. And like I said earlier, we often put ourselves in the story. And so as I wrestled with that this week, and I put myself in this, and I'm like, we'll be blessed at the resurrection of the righteous. What does that mean? And it kind of dawned on me, like, why am I worrying about the blessing? If I find myself at the resurrection of the righteous, if you find yourself at the resurrection of the righteous, we've already received more than we deserve. By what Jesus did on the cross, by his death, by his resurrection, and by his ascension, we have already received more than we deserve. 
And what more could we ask for? But then I got to wondering, if we're repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, what is it, or what if it's that person outside of our sphere of influence that we extended kingdom hospitality to, that we went outside of our box, outside of our comfort zone, and loved somebody well, and we get to see them at the resurrection of the righteous. What a blessing that would be. What a repayment that would be. Psalm 23, he says, you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That would be a blessing to have that at the resurrection of the righteous. So we need to step out of our comfort zone to see through our labels, our agendas, our stereotypes, our judgments, and truly bring kingdom hospitality. Wait. What is the Lord putting on your heart? What is he, what thoughts are you having? Two more passages I want to share with you quickly. Ephesians 2, 12 through 13. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, and now Christ Jesus, you were once far away but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We don't get to be like the Pharisees. Because by the blood of Jesus, we don't have any room for arrogance or self-righteousness. It is only by the blood of Christ. It is only by grace through faith that we're saved. So we need to be aware of our thinking. We need to be aware of the way we see people, the way we see the world. Be aware of the ways that we can extend kingdom hospitality. The second scripture I want to share is 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Now that is a verse that many of you have heard before and that's a verse that many of you delight in. Like we'll buy that sign and we'll hang it in the living room. Love covers a multitude of sin. That makes us feel good, right? Raise your hand if that makes you feel good. Yes. If you don't have your hand up, you should. Love covers a multitude of sin. The very next verse, the very next verse, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. (laughs) It just got real. So we wait. I found this quote by Rosaria Butterfield, and it says this, radically ordinary hospitality, radically ordinary hospitality. Those who live to see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God, they recoil at reducing a person to a category 
or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. They take their own sin seriously, including sin of selfishness and pride. They take God's holiness and goodness seriously. They use the Bible as a lifeline with no exceptions. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know the gospel comes with a house key. Friends, our world needs this. Desperately need this. To tear down barriers, to remove the walls that we put up, to erase the lines that we draw so people can be seen and heard. I was just sharing with someone the other day that my personal opinion is the greatest epidemic in our world today is loneliness. There are so many things that stem from it, but the greatest epidemic is loneliness. And kingdom hospitality, done the way that Jesus tells us to do it, is the cure for that. People are longing for this. So when we go about our day and we see people, we can quickly draw lines and cast judgment, just like the Pharisees. But the challenge this week is to wait. What am I thinking? You can even change it to, why am I thinking that? to share a meal with somebody that you normally wouldn't. I mean, think about it, right? If you eat three meals a day, there's seven days in a week. That is 21 built-in opportunities for you to show someone kingdom hospitality. You're doing it anyway, right? You're going to eat. And that's not even counting coffee and snack time. Can I get an Amen. But are we willing? Can we test ourselves this week with the challenge of weight? So as we close, I want to invite the praise team up. And as we close, I want us to do just that. To wait. To think about Jesus what are you putting on my mind? What are you putting on my heart? What am I thinking? And so as they play this next song, I would invite you to just remain seated. Don't even sing along. And as they sing this song, as these words come over you or you read them on the screen, wait. Pay attention 
to what you're thinking? Is there something that the Lord is calling you into? Someone he is putting on your heart? A way that he is challenging your way of thinking? To pay attention to the weight. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We don't want to be people like the Pharisees that judge are full of pride. Jesus, we want to be your humble servants full of grace and mercy. Filled with an eagerness to share it with those who know you and those that don't. Jesus, we want to join you in your redemptive work in this city and in this region. And so we thank you for the ways that you've offered us generous hospitality, the way you've adopted us into your family and called us sons and daughters. And we confess that as simple as kingdom hospitality sounds, we get in our own way. So Holy Spirit, would you move in us during this time to reveal to us, to help deconstruct the boundaries and the barriers that we have built? Because we want to be, we long to be a church that goes beyond these walls, beyond our services, and be light in dark places, to be used that the lost may be found. We just want to be like you, Jesus. So would you use our ordinary, everyday lives to advance your kingdom, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, to Knoxville and to the surrounding communities, and to you be all the glory and the honor and praise for your love and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.